The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Imagine, if you will, a podcast created by young gentlemen interested in science and Pokemon. Imagine even further, these young men would get the opportunity to talk in front of people. Who would listen to them? Who would even be interested? And what would happen? And cut. Matt, that was great. Well done. Honestly, Uh, I don't think I'd watch it. Whoa. (laughs) You're not feeling this? (laughs) Oh, I can feel it, Mr. Krabs. And cue the music. All right, everyone, this is Cameraman Chris, quiet on the set. We're about to start recording. Uh, Today we're going to be talking some Pokemon and movies and how they overlap. But first, I think we have to get through some science news. Yeah. uh, uh, So first off, if you did not know, there is a giant swarm of, 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 of locusts currently traveling across East Africa. Um, it's a very bad locust year with, with, with the shift in climate. And unfortunately, uh, locusts reproduce. It's like something like, I think it's like 20 to 20 times. Oh, <laughs> or is it how frequently within, I think that's like within like three generations. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so it's something, it's something ridiculous like that where like, this is a becoming a real problem. Um, and it literally is causing like like you know huge devastation for for local farmers and a lot of communities as their crops are just being destroyed and decimated within hours. You know, um, I did see as this is is moving eastward, uh, China has I think it was China was gathering like thousands of ducks. Yeah, were they ducks or yeah, I can't remember if it was ducks or chickens, but duck ducks. sounds right. Ducks to 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 send to the the western border and eventually greet the swarm of locusts as they arrive. It's the perfect trap. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of of science news that I wanted to talk about because I don't really care to talk about coronavirus right now and I I genuinely thought this was a great story, especially because of the ducks. <laughs> I mean, that's that is. I just like the duck army that's modern being assembled. Problems require a modern solution. <laughs> ducks have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah, the, the entire history of man, we have not considered ducks to be useful, and here they are. Ducks are so useful. They as food and as um plant maintenance things. They eat plants too. You can put them in your pond. Okay, fair stuff. enough. And they lay eggs. So I guess that counts as food. And you can make them into pillows. And uh, they're they're really cute sometimes. So you can look at them and they make you feel happy. I was going to say, okay. I'm pretty sure if you put anything in a pond, it'll eat something. So I don't know if that's special. I don't know about that. There's, I think some things we'll just drown. put my dog in a pond and find out. Right, if you put a well, tor- don't put tortoises in ponds. That's disclaimer of the episode. Conservation Corner with Don. <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I, I was... Um, BuzzFeed had a video series, and I, I came into it late because uh, I'm ruining history. That was it. And uh, they had an episode about the shipwreck that inspired Moby Dick. Oh, they, um, yes. 
And and they were talking about so how that. those guys they caused like the extinction of a couple of turtle species or t- tortoise species. Yep. Because uh, they on their way to to like do like whaling and whale trading, they stopped at one of the Galapagos and like took like an entire island's worth of tortoises. <laughs> and then when their boat sank, all the tortoises died because tortoises can't swim. <laughs> yep. Moby Dick killed the tortoises. <laughs> The story they never told you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I have non-science news because I'm not as good at Lucas about the science news, but we'll work on that. It's been a long week for me, too, so I apologize. Um, We have... No reason. How do you say its name? Which thing? Zarud? Zarudi? Mojo Jojo. Zarude. Zerud, Zarud, Gremlin. It is, it is the Gremlin. I'm happy we got. I'm thinking that I got that Gremlin feel from it, and I feel pretty proud. It looks too close to Incineroar. I I, I I don't like it. No, no, dude. Like I have watched Gremlins every Christmas for years. It's got little Spider-Man vines come out of its wrist. That's it. It's got like, and it's got like the Venom seal. (laughs) It it is the scariest mythical ever. I think it looks pretty cool. I mean, we always get like these cute fairy mythicals right away, and then this is the first one we get. Demon monkey. <laughs> uh, it'll fit right in with Celebi and, and Jirachi. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I do kind of like it. I'm interested to see what the direction it goes with. I guess like Zero Aura was a little more edgier than the usual mythicals, right? Yeah. Was that the first one, though, from uh The first Aloba? edgy boy? Yes, I no, think so. No, was it the first mythical? Was it the first mythic- mythical? I think so. Because usually, it, like, it's like the first one that gets like the cute fairy vibe. Yeah. What did did Alola have a mythical that was cute? Uh, yes, yeah, Zero Aura. I think Zero Aura was the only mythical, wasn't it? And Melton. Melton. I'm, I'm, st- really I'm still convinced that Melton was like a bug in the code, and they it made a weird ditto <laughs> pop up, and then like they just owned it. They're just like, oops. <laughs> Guess that's this now. That's that's my personal like conspiracy theory, and I stand by it. Like there was a bug that's in why, Pokemon why Go and it made Ditto's it. look weird, and then they're like, "Oh, that's Melton." All right. On that on that news, um, there's also new VGC rules for those of you who play like. Uh, oh, was Magirna? Oh, Marshadow. Marshadow's kind of cute, I guess. Oh yeah, Marshadow. Yeah. Also, kind of I, I thought Magirna was Gen Five, but according to Bulbapedia, Gen it's six. Gen Six. Seven. It is it's Gen in six. seven, according to Bulbapedia. Magirna? Yeah. It was in it was in the movie for But it was available via QR code distribution for Pokemon Sun and Moon. Oh well then there you go. I don't know. But Magirna's weird. Well then Magirna be the be the weird fairy thing, okay. The to be fair also though, Pokemon home Magirna Pokeball thing is pretty sick. Yeah. Anyways, uh let's uh let's uh the new VGC rules. Kanto and all Alola starters are now viable, which is awesome. Yay, Incineroar is back. Uh, and we got new G-Max things. So if you're playing, like, I'm telling you, this is, like, legitimately, this is the perfect time to get involved. Um, there's actually been a few of you who joined us on Discord, quite a few, actually, um, in the network Discord. Uh, I forget who it was, but I gave someone a bunch of breed jacks the other day because they were trying to learn how to play. But, like, like literally, this is, like, the time to learn. It's super easy to get in now. It is. And you you can literally just throw anything together and it will work. <laughs> Sure. I mean, look at Wolf's team, man. Look at Wolf's team. He's, like, it's he also just throw a bunch of random he's crap. Extremely good, and I, I don't think he's it's that random. He's amazing. He's amazing. No, I know, but I'm just saying. Like, you look at some of these teams, and you're like, "Whoa, where did where did Pumpkaboo come from?" Gorgeist, but yeah, no, Gorgeist is like high key sick. 
<laughs> I mean, there's all these like random things that I would never think about, like you know, that people are genuinely using really well. So I think I think it's this is the year to learn because everything is is at least somewhat. Viable there's a lot now. of good stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a way to make almost everything work right now. I think that's my point. All right, uh, let's go into the segment. <laughs> well, we have a treat for you today, and it's not Don's laugh. We're going to talk about something really interesting. I'm super excited. This is a very novel topic for us. We're actually going to talk about film. And I'm going to hand one over to Cameraman Chris. Yeah, we're going to hand it over to you. Uh, Uh, What do you have to tell us? uh, So a brief disclaimer in that the – for as brief as the history film is, it is definitely deep and there is a lot to go into. So by no means take what I'm saying as the be-all, end-all of the history of film, oh, this is the in a five-minute segment. You can't go into every little detail. Absolutely lame. For my own reputation, I feel like I just have to put the disclaimer. It is very. I'm going to be angry at you for not going into my favorite detail now. I'm not so, going to tell you what my detail is, though. It's a secret. Oh no, I'm going to get. Oh no, this is a disaster. All right, come on. All right, you got this, buddy. You got it. Uh, so I figured I'd bring in a little bit of science, as we are a science-based show. So. Uh, for the for film to work, we essentially have to trick the mind, and this comes with two phenomena known as persistence of vision and the phi phenomenon. Uh, do you all have an idea about what those concepts are? I know are? about persistence of vision. I don't know about the other one. Um, isn't, so, isn't one of them like when you're like watching that like the spinny thing and like the horses move in? Yes. So persistence of vision is the idea that uh, an image lasts on your eye. Uh, past the time when after it basically enters your optic nerve um it basically is why oh, when oh you so watch- it's like, like when you close your eyes and the image is still there yeah so in in the idea of film it's why you don't see the black spaces between film cells as the reels going through uh your it, your eyes basically able to connect the images as they pass through the projector so the other one then is more of what i was describing Yes, it's uh, the five phenomenon is essentially what creates the illusion of movement. When and uh, when something moves in rapid enough succession, uh, it looks like it's moving even though it's not. So it, think of it kind of like in the brain. Yeah, it's like it, this specifically is kind of how stop motion works. Um, so that's the that's your kind of dose of science before we get into history, the very abbreviated history. But my favorite tidbit about the history of film is that it's littered with people actively trying to not invent film. Where you well, had a bunch well, tell, of tell us about it then. You basically have people creating things that they has the potential and they don't ex- like execute on. It takes a lot of time for people to put it all together. And so we start like usually mustard start, gas. I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's a it's a little bit better than mustard gas. <laughs> Of all the war-based gases, it is the most delicious sounding, though. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I want to that. All right. So wait, but, it was invented. It was invented by accident. Tell us. Yeah. So um, we st- uh, basically it all started with a bet, as all good things do. Um, there wait, was like Frankenstein. Yeah, like Frankenstein. There was there was a bet where um, two gentlemen had a bet that a horse could not have all four hooves in the air at once. And there was a gentleman by the name of Edward Mybridge who was working on chronophotography. Whose bridge and was it? What was that? Whose bridge was it? 
Did I say bridge? I thought you said his last name no. was my bridge, and I was making a terrible joke. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that went over my head. Good uh, job. But he uh, he basically uh, placed a bunch of cameras in succession on a racetrack and rigged them up to tripwires. As the horse ran through the tripwires, all the cameras went off, and you kind of strung together an image of a horse running that when played together, the horse looked like it was moving. Uh, spoiler alert, the horses can't have all four hooves in the air at once. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, they, I mean, you can go look up the Stanford horse, uh, which is what this is called, and you can see the horse running, and there's a moment in time when all four of its hooves are in the air. Interesting. That is uh, and then, uh, but again, he kind of Can was stuck snakes in... do that? <laughs> I mean, you have to have legs first. What about those flying snakes? <laughs> I guess they're in the air. All right, all right, keep going. You're good. <laughs> uh, but so the, uh, uh, as pretty much everything that happens in terms of inventions in America in the late 1800s, we find ourselves at Edison Laboratories. And... What comes out of there is from a man named William Kennedy Laurie Dixon. It works uh, works and puts out what is called the Edison Kinetograph, uh, which is essentially a single-user operated projector. And uh, Wait, they showed film on this, right? Yeah. It, I mean, you can see oh. them. I think they have them in Disney World. They have things like is, it. Where, is this where they showed, uh, they showed the elephant, right? I... I'm not sure. I mean, no, they showed a lot of things. Autopsy at my autopsy. <laughs> yes, uh, that's the one. But Edison essentially, um, he wanted to create it because he wanted something to supplement the sound coming from his phonograph, which kind of ties back to the people not knowing what they were creating. Uh, a lot of these shows were no longer than a minute. I mean, there's literally one of a guy sneezing. Uh, it's, mm. it's it's not the most exciting content, uh, but it's content. It sounds thrilling. <laughs> uh, but as I said it was, uh, at the beginning of this, is that these were single user. Edison really considered film to be a single user experience, which uh, is I mean, it's fundamentally changed when you get the Lumiere brothers in France who invented the cinematograph. Who uh, or which basically worked as a camera, film printer, and a projector all in one. What they were able to do is they went and filmed a bunch of workers leaving the Lumiere factory, about 50 seconds worth of film, and they held screenings in the basement of a cafe and charged people, and people came to watch it. They had about 10 different minute-long shorts of like mm. trains coming into factories. Nothing like or- watching people leaving their work. <laughs> It's it was like very much like slice of life kind of stuff, and people were fascinated by it. But it's like watching watching vines. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you think about well, Edison wanted the single user thing. We're kind of back to that with our cell phones. Uh, but uh, what the the important aspect of what the Lumiere's created is they were able to bring this into a public screening. They were able to make it a community event because I believe at the end of the day, film is a communal experience and best experience with a group of people. And basically from that point forward, there's tons of innovations in terms of technology that moves us forward. Narrative structure film really comes into its own in terms of storytelling and its own art form. Uh, And, and it's kind of all uphill from there. Depending on who you talk to, I've heard it's all downhill now. (laughs) It's all good. Well, cool. 
Let's talk about why we're actually talking about it, and let's talk about film in the Pokemon world. All right, so let's talk about some actual Pokemon. Yes, let's start with everyone's favorite creepy ice psychic, Mr. Rhyme. Mr. Rhyme would uh, is basically, I, I don't want to say... Terrifying. I mean, he is terrifying. He's also basically a clone of an iconic silent film era character known as the Tramp, portrayed by uh, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, not from Lady and the Tramp. Not from Lady and the Tramp. This uh. is definitively not a dog. <laughs> Um, couldn't, Good tell. couldn't tell, <laughs> couldn't tell. <laughs> but uh the the tramp character um is sort of iconic in his design in that he has baggy pants uh a bowler hat a cane the pencil mustache uh the tight pants and that's kind of mr rhyme just right there in the design even in the Pokedex, it talks about how uh, Galarian Mime and him uh, are both tap dancers, and Charlie Chaplin actually got started in in a clogging troupe, uh, and also was known to tap dance on film. As one does. You know, there's just so many different connections in terms of appearance. Uh, even he's, I believe he's the comedian Pokemon in the Pokedex. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm afraid to even go near that thing. I, I'm fairly certain that's what it's listed at, and that's kind of what Chaplin's bread and butter was. He was kind of, at least in silent film, uh, the iconic slapstick comedy uh, uh, persona. Uh, fun fact, he actually learned comedy from a man by Fred Carno, who popularized the custard pine face gag. Um, because oh, someone, a legend. Someone had to do it first, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chaplin himself made tons of films using the Tramp character. He was in, uh, he started with Keystone Studios, uh, where it first premiered in 1914. And he made a bunch of uh, films with them as the Tramp, but he started to get really frustrated with the studio system and being able to get financial backing for a lot of his projects. And so he decided with uh, himself and a couple other stalwarts of Hollywood at the time, to found what we know as today is United Artists, uh, which is a major production company, uh, distribution company, but they wanted to be able to have their own financial backing for their films. And, uh, and that's so kind they of robbed what, a bank. They, I mean, they, people were mad about it. There was not a lot of happiness going on around the other studios because I think one person described it as the inmates running the asylum, that whatever that expression is, uh, they didn't think, one. yeah, they didn't think the actors running a production studio could ever work. Spoiler alert: It's, I mean, still around today. This kind of put, work. but it though this kind of puts. I mean, it, I mean, they were pretty successful in their films, but this kind of uh, puts them straight into the heat of the the studio era of Hollywood. Which brings us to okay. Matt. What I think you want yeah, to talk about? This is mine. This is mine. We're going to talk about Pokey Star Studios. Like we couldn't do a film episode and not talk about Pokey Star Studios, right? I mean, like for those of you who don't remember, it was this amazing feature in a game that I barely touched. <laughs> um, so it's from Black and White Two, Black Two White Two, and uh, you go to uh, Verbank, and there's a movie studio, and you essentially get to. You go into a room with a green screen and you record segments for a movie 
and then you can go and watch it. I mean, it's super fun, right? Like, there's a ton of different movies. The the Japanese and Korean European names for it was actually Pokewood. Naturally. So it could be, it could be, it could be a reference to either Hollywood or Bollywood. I mean, it, well, it, Hollywood in like Uganda. The, I don't know. That's kind of like the yeah. generic tack on to any film industry at at this point. Apparently, the one thing to note is all the directors in the game are named for real people. Yes. Uh, some Sydney iconic directors. Pokemet is what Sydney. It's a uh, Sydney Lumet. And then we got John Pokender, which is John Car- Carpenter. I knew that one. Yes. And David Pokinch. David who is. Yeah. David. David That's kind of cool. I mean, and very, very brief overview of them. Sydney Lumet basically had a 50 year career. One of the most iconic New York film directors. Um, things like 12 Angry Men, Network, Serpico. John Carpenter, pioneer of the slasher genre, genre and horror films, things like The Thing, Halloween. Also, a very popular yeah, I'm, a, I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. He's the kind of guy that like didn't have a lot of popularity for uh, his films weren't the best received when they first came out, but gained a lot of cult following. And then yeah, and then David Lynch. Honestly, I've been trying to find a reasoning for why they chose David Lynch. Um, he's, it's kind of a wild card. He's, he's arguably the most successful surrealist film director. I'm not really sure why they did that other than someone liked Eraserhead or Twin Peaks. Verbank City is based off of Jersey City, New Jersey. That's where it's placed on the map. Uh, we did a whole episode on Unova really early on. There's no real significance for film. However, there is one landmark that stands out. Jersey City is home to... How do I say this? It's it's Lowe's? I think it's Lowe's. J- Lowe's Jersey Theater? I figured you would know better than I would. Uh, so Lowe's Cine- Cineplex Entertainment uh, was uh, Lowe's Incorporated. He, it was a theater chain uh, in North America, and it was actually the parent company for MGM. And they had theaters. So this one's based off of what it was called the Lowe's Wonder Theaters, which were like these giant palaces and they were all around New York City. There was five of them, and they were like lavish. And they're all still standing, is my understanding. But the one in Jersey, you know, so it opens in 1929, which kind of, you know, we're talking again, early, early 20th yeah, century. It's right in the silent era. This building, though, this is why it stood out to me, though. So the actual building itself is like this beautiful, uh, was it Baroque and Rococo, Rococo, I can never say that right. The, the, the style here is so it, it, it's, you know, it's got gorgeous curves. There's white and pastels within the paints. Uh, it's asymmetric, which is really cool. Like the design, you know, on one side has a pillar and the other side does not. I, I like that. The, the detail, though, the level of detail here is very uh, intricate. And just the building itself, because it is so large and open, you get this sense of grandeur. And when you look at it, it actually reminds me a lot of the actual in-game theater from Black 2 and White 2. So, you know, there's not an exact copy, but there are similarities, especially with the color of the stone, you know, the intense details, the curves, kind of the grand, grandiose, uh, you know, inside of the building itself, too. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but we've pointed out so much about these games and especially, you know, down to the names of directors. I have to feel like so much of what they do is actually intentional. I will say, though, the building for the in the anime and the Avengers manga is actually does not look like anything of the one in the game <laughs> at all. They just pulled a fast one on us. 
Yeah, they're just like, all right, here's a different building. I mean, yeah. it's the same building, but it looks nothing alike. So, well, yeah. I actually may have found a, a, a Jersey connection for you in film, though, Matt, which is, as I talked about in the history, American film kind of started with uh, the Edison Laboratories. And where were Edison Laboratories found or set up was West Orange, New Jersey, which is 30 minutes west of Jersey City. Edison had the Black Maria Studios, where he did a lot of his filming, that was in that area. So... There's, I mean, there's a film connection there. I well, also, I understand geographically, Inova and New York and all that. I can't help yeah. but think that Burbank is also a play on Burbank and like playing in well, some way. I mean, in that. and there's, yeah, I mean, there's in the anime that there's literally a, a walk of fame. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think it's a, uh, a combination of both. The the name, but yeah. Uh, I mean, and we've talked a lot about geography, um, especially in our episode on Unova. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just one of those things, you know. Uh, I just wanted to point it out, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, let's talk about some of the films, though. Okay, can I just say going through the movies that like you can actually make at the studio is pretty awesome, though. There's, there's it's, a it's lot something of really I good didn't shows. use enough when I played the game. It's like I kind of want to like, go back. And I kind of, I kind of want to go back and do that now. <laughs> but I'm about to play the Mystery Dungeon remake. Is that out yet? I'm I don't excited. know. It's don't know. on the, so like, the thing, this though. weekend. Oh. Okay. Let's talk about a couple of them, though, really quick. Uh, so Bryson Mann, we all know Bryson, uh, the gym leader, and he oh, was Bryce in the anime. <laughs> well, apparently in this, in 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 the game, there's a, uh, the film with Bryson Mann is that you're like a superhero, and essentially you're like named after whatever your starter is, so you're like, you know, the Tepig girl. <laughs> Naturally. Yes. And you fight Bryson Mann, who is like a over-the-top comic-esque villain with a large purple outfit as one does yeah and it, it kind of reminded me though like literally it made me think of like the silver age of comics all of the tv shows that came out of that time period which when i look at a lot of the other films a lot of the films they come from a large variety but a lo- there's a good chunk of them that have bases in like the 50s and 60s and 70s mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know. It just it kind of fit for me the way I looked, you know, when I was looking at it. Um, you know, it kind of also makes me think of as, you know, the the whole Sentai thing took off too, especially with how ridiculous all the villains looked. I don't know, it kind of looked like uh I don't know if you guys remember the Science Ninja Team Gatchman. I don't I, remember that. I'm not familiar with the Gatchman. Oh, really? No. And they look like they look like like they, they look like birds. They have like helmets. You probably I guarantee you've seen it. You just may not know you've seen it. They had a different name in America. I don't remember. What Maybe they I repressed it. Uh, but Bryce's <laughs> outfit looks a lot like their their villain. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I want to move on though. Um, let's talk about Full Metal Cop because that is the actual name. Of it's a, a great. It's a great name. <laughs> he is. He is enemy of Edward Elric. <laughs> I, I will say right off so, the bat, it is not that I can't find any relations to Full Metal Jacket in this movie. <laughs> Or in this in this fake movie, it is hundred percent RoboCop. Tell us about it. Actually, Don, do you want to talk about RoboCop? It's been a it's been a minute. I don't I don't, I don't know RoboCop. I've never other than I know there, so. There's a guy. He is a cop. He no gets, way. Like he's a, lured he's by some criminals, and he gets yeah. He's hundred percent man, right? Hundred percent man. man he cop. gets shot. And then he's 50% man because they shot off his legs or something, and a lot of them. And then they replace him with 50% robot, and now he's RoboCop. And then he I shoots. Mean, they, wait, is people. he like the million dollar man? <laughs> he's a. No. He's, well, he's the cyborg. He shoots he, way more people than the million dollar man, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's a lot more murder. 
And they also they actually like they totally shoot him in the head too. Like he's he's kind of dead. He gets like, shot a whole bunch. Yeah, I mean it's basically just a guy gets turned into a cyborg and then starts policing Detroit. And there's a lot of uh, basically corporations are evil kind of. So is that is talents. that is that the is that like the Pokemon version too? Well, so the Pokemon version, you're I think you're the bad guy. Like you're fighting Mecha Cop, uh, which would be RoboCop. But one of the weirdest correlations is that you're a ninja. Uh, it's like the Sneasel Ninja is the, the, the player name. And in RoboCop 3, they actually introduce uh, Android Ninjas. Sick. Okay. I'm about uh, it. So, so there's that connection. Nothing like my robot Detroit police facing robot ninjas. That's the basic of like it. every 80s I would watch that movie. movie right now. I would quit watching this podcast or doing this podcast and go watch that movie. <laughs> That's how committed I am. Yeah, thanks, Don. We 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 we've we've taken that. We understand. Um, so the Love other next you. one I want to talk about, yeah, is called Timegate Traveler, and this is based on. It says Back to the Future and Planet of the Apes. Um, it's really though, it's mainly just Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, maybe the family um, friendliness of Back to the Future. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's like loosely based on Planet of the Apes. Uh, the story is there's like you know these uh, competing time travelers, and they end up in the future and they ended up causing a massive change in the timeline, kind of like back to the future, I guess, but that the Pokemon rule the world in the future and people are like the pets, like planet of the apes. And they have Neat. to find a way back to the past to rectify the situation. So yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was cool. For those of you who don't know planet of the apes, it was actually based on a French novel from wait for it. The 1960s. <laughs> all my favorite, uh, yeah. That's when all my favorite novels are. Yes, I concur. And and the film is actually from 1968, so that's what we say. Like you know, there's a lot of like certain era in here. Um, I've I've a very yeah, important uh, question. Yes. What would be creepier, having Mr. Mime as a pet or being Mr. Mime's pet? Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyways, <laughs> but legitimately though, you know, for those of you who don't know Planet of the Apes, the premise is that these astronauts travel and they end up on a planet where apes are the intelligent species. Uh, and humans are subservient, like animals kept in cages and hunted. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Earth, just in the future, because they traveled, you know, uh, traveling this close to the speed of light changes time, <laughs> that whole time relativity thing. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's actually, if you see, if you ever watch the second one, the second one's actually when they try to go back in time. And it turns out like that the whole thing was caused by the nuclear holocaust. And that the few humans that do live have like psychic powers. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> and the third one's even weirder, man. The third one is like a book because like they kept killing off the big name actors so they could just keep the cheap ones. <laughs> so the third one is just a bunch of the apes travel back in time <laughs> to like the 1970s. <laughs> Classic. And it's just they show up in the 70s and they're like, what world is this? <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to brush up on my Planet of the Apes. I did honestly like. <laughs> All of like the new Planet of the Apes ones they made. I have not enjoyed them. They took, I mean, because they took like so. Essentially, the the whole story of Caesar, which was the new ones, is the fourth and fifth final movies. Yeah, but Andy yeah, Serkis in those movies is fantastic. Andy Serkis is good at everything. Uh, but let's continue on. I want to talk about the next one for all of our friends who have a really weird fantasy. Uh, the Giant Woman, aka, which is based on <laughs> none of you, are my friends. 
which is based on Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, which is a a uh, again nineteen fifties, actually nineteen fifty eight, almost nineteen sixties. It's a black and white science fiction film. Um, so for those of you who don't know the the premise, it's really awesome. Actually, it's a wealthy heiress who's kind of a drunk, and she encounters like an alien. And he accidentally causes her to turn into a giant, but like no one believes her that she encountered an alien because she's a drunk. And then her man who like, who's very uh, flanderous uh, has lots of, lots of friends. (laughs) She, he like tries to like take advantage of everyone thinks she's crazy and like get her money. And they come into contact with the alien and yeah, she becomes a giant. And then, she goes on a giant rampage to hunt her man and she finds him with another woman. And yeah, they end up killing her because she went on a rampage. She didn't like actually like, like go out of her way to attack anyone else. It was just trying to get back at her man. <laughs> she killed her man and the woman he was cheating on her with. <laughs> they also would not have the tech to shrink her back down. So she would have lived the rest of her life as a giant. <laughs> okay. Well said. Thank you. Um, so the last one I really want to talk about is Ghost Eraser, <laughs> which is based on, wait for it, wait for it, Ghostbusters. Sick. <sighs> um, the entire plot here is literally you work for an organization that hunts ghosts and you get rid of them. You find people being possessed by ghosts and you have to fight to free them. Um, it kind of reminds me of many Ghostbuster incidents in in some of the movies, you know, like when Yanish is controlled in Ghostbusters 2 or... The video game. I don't know if you ever played the video game. I did not. Which, which, essentially, the video game essentially is is Ghostbusters three. It literally is all of the original cast voicing the characters, and it is somewhat reminiscent of the story that uh, Ackroyd and uh, uh, that Ackroyd wanted to tell when they were planning to make Ghostbusters three. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of the TV show. I know you guys are a bit younger, but I remember growing up watching the real Ghostbusters. That was a great show. But yeah, so eventually you find out the person who hired you was manipulating you, much like the Ghostbusters video game. And then you accidentally help them use an ancient statue and a relic to summon a ghost-like Majin. And I know Majins are like genies, but this thing looks like... It really does not look like a genie. It looks kind of like a ghost. Like it has like floating debris in it. It's it's really interesting looking. Um, It kind of reminds me of a lot of the ghosts you'd see in the real Ghostbusters TV show. And the premise is very much... I have vague memories of that show. It was a cool show, man. I loved it. I, I, well, wasn't I did. there like um, a gorilla that was part of their team? Or my like was that a fever dream? No. You are thinking of Ghostbusters, not the real Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, the cartoon from the nineteen sixties. They actually had a oh. gorilla? Uh Ghostbusters, which is not related to the Ghostbusters. Oh or at Ghostbusters all, right? franchise. No, they're not anywhere near related. They're they're very different premises. Uh Ghostbusters was like a shtick style live action television show with a guy in a gorilla suit that eventually got made into a cartoon for Saturday morning cartoons. And due to copyright law, that is why the cartoon that was to match the Dan Aykroyd movie was called the real ghostbusters. Gotcha. I think we should add gorillas to every movie. (laughs) Anyways. um, Yeah. The game, the game literally states, Oh, this made me laugh. (laughs) The game states that you only help people who hire you. Like it literally yeah, made me think of Ghostbusters. Hey, we'll take care of that ghost if you if you pay us. <laughs> also, when you're fighting this like Majin thing on top of the rooftop, there are people down in the city below watching you and like freaking out. And it kind of reminded me of the original Ghostbusters scene when they're fighting Gozer. Do you fight a giant Swirlix? 
Oh, giant... sick reference, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Okay, so not all of the films, though, there, like, have clear tie-ins. I did want to mention two, though, two that, like, reminded me. So there's a, the, the one's called Mystery Doors of, of Magic, of, of the Magical Land. The logo is very reminiscent of, like, the old Twilight Zone logo. Uh, nothing else reminded me of anything else. <laughs> However, there is one that does stand out, Big Monster is the name of a film, and that is literally the kaiju. Um, you're literally fighting a giant Tyranitar or a giant Mecha Tyranitar. Both of which are awesome. That's the only one I remember from that game. Uh, not to mention that the trainer that summons Tyranitar is a white light, and it's like a ghostly in appearance, or otherworldly. So kind of reminds me of the Godzilla world. However, we're not going to talk any more about that because there's a lot to dive in there, and we're going to save that for a future episode. Yeah. Let's talk about the next Pokemon. I know we got one more we want to talk about here. Uh, so, I mean, sticking with Galar, I don't know why Galar tends to, is having all, a couple film references here, but we have one of the starters for Final Evolution of Inteleon. Because these are, these, My favorite it's like, one. It's like the only cultural things that, that they knew in Japan. Well, this one, like, they, they did not, I don't think they tried too hard on this one. I personally love the name. I love the design. Inteleon is the secret agent Pokemon. I Pond. I, James Pond. That was my joke. I put in the show notes, everyone, just so you know. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> Shake and bake. But he, I mean, he's the secret agent Pokemon. His coloring and it looks like a tuxedo. He has this, like, this is quintessential James Bond. And he's got, I mean, the, uh, he moves like James Bond. And he's got the, what's a snipe shot? That's his little move where he points his fingers and fires water. Like, yeah. That's the like the bond in the scope with the blood intro, like yes, the introduction to Goldeneye. Yeah, and like yeah, so great. I watch like every Bond movie once a year. I do like the Bond films. I mean, and the Bond films themselves are like they have a lot of history with tying in with like really popularizing the spy genre in the '60s during the Cold War because people became obsessed with espionage. No way, more stuff from the '60s. (laughs) It's a very popular time. You you know what I bet? I bet you. A good chunk of these films have like relations to like obscure movies from like the 1950s and 60s that that like none of us know. The um, I did find a couple of some interesting like James Bond tidbits. One is it it varies depending on how you quantify like a cinematic universe, but James Bond is like the fourth most profitable cinematic universe. Behind like yep. Harry Potter, MCU, Star Wars. Uh, the another fun tidbit I I love to bring up is when Pierce Brosnan signed his contract to play James Bond, he was actually contractually obligated to not wear a tuxedo in any other film while he was uh, playing Bond. That's why he never wore a tuxedo in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, that is the reason. Tell us, tell, us, tell us about Bond, though. Like, so, oh, where, where, where? I mean, Bond. Uh, Bond's a character created by author Ian Fleming. It debuted in the novel Casino Royale in 1953. So, kind of like a fast track from book to film because 53 was the first novel release, and I think Doctor No was like 63, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Planet uh, Planet of the Apes was actually only like a five minute. The one we just talked about was, was like a five year span yeah book to film they were like hey this is you're on to something here uh also apparently when they casted sean connery for bond ian fleming hated him like he thought he didn't think he was suave enough to be bond 
He's been, he's a character. He's been uh, Fleming wrote twelve novels and two collections of short stories. There have been some published posthumously, and others have gone. But he's kind of he's kind of the iconic spy character of that genre. You kind of had a duality between the more eccentric spies and the more grounded grounded in reality spy novels. And I mean, I think it's pretty natural for people to gravitate towards the more gravitas, extravagant people want to take over the world kind of stories. Heck yeah, we want to feel like, you know, the stakes are high. I mean, it's like, you know, Blofeld. Like, why go for just your standard average Soviet spy when you could be fighting Blofeld? But in terms of film, like, it didn't just actually, it wasn't just the spy genre. Like, the Cold War bled into a lot of different genres, because this is also the time in horror when you have things like... I mean, you had Hitchcock, you had Invasion of the Body Snatchers, there was a rise of... Basically, the idea of like your neighbors Twilight not your neighbor. Zone episodes. Every, yeah, everyone's a communist kind of thing. Like that, 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 that era bled into pop culture like in tons of different aspects and influenced a lot of different mediums. Cool. Well, that was very very fun. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> Well, definitely some hiccups there. <laughs> We're figuring uh, it out. Yeah, you know what? It's going to take some time for us to figure this all out. Um, just be patient. You know, if it makes you all feel any bit better, when Lucas and I first started this, we would record and re-record segments maybe three times. Because <laughs> every time we'd be like, well, that was bad. Let's do it again. I didn't like this. So, you know, yeah, you know we'll get there. I have my perfection yet was the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'll never tell them about any of your gaffes. Don't worry. Oh, no, uh, I'm perfect. <laughs> but thank you guys for staying with us. Um, video is on the way, um, and we'll have more episodes. We have another one coming up this month. Uh, it will be a very cool episode about physics and flight and gravity. Birds I'm aren't really- real. <laughs> Well, we, we have a we have a physics and mathematician guy that you can ask who can explain to you if or if not they are not real. I don't know. Is that his official title, mathematician guy? I That's he will introduce his it. own title. He will introduce <laughs> his own title. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, please also excuse the editing if the sound editing is poor again. This is this is literally going to be my first episode editing since like October of our first year. <laughs> I usually usually I usually just come in there and like add stuff in the background like music. <laughs> I don't usually edit like levels or anything. So it's been a long time. So give us, you know, again, thank you for staying with us. Uh there is going to be a special Patreon only uh segment up here dealing with this episode on Patreon. Uh go check it out if you're a subscriber because we want to give back to you guys because I really, really appreciate everything you guys are doing. And it's not to try to push anyone behind a paywall. It's just that I wanted to thank those of you who are giving, you know, your hard-earned money to support what we're doing. So I really appreciate it, truly. Uh, And seriously, come check out the network on Discord. Like, we have events all the time. Um, We have a Pictionary event coming up this month. We also have a trivia event at the end of the month. That will be fun. Uh, We have prizes for our events uh we did a curry big off challenge i don't neither of you guys showed up but uh i ended up winning accidentally <laughs> there you go 
I know the prize was was I I put a bunch of prizes up and uh, I won. Uh, I baked the only Charizard class curry out of four rounds. <laughs> I have cooked one thing of curry in my playthroughs of so- sorts. Yeah, I cooked curry once. That's how, that, you know what? Honestly, that's how most of us were. We were like, you know what? This is gonna be fun. It was just, it was literally just fun. Um, we all were tied though the whole game until the very end. <laughs> there you go. So it was good. It was good fun. But yeah, come on out, guys. You know we're happy to have you and. You know, that's how we found Jared, and he came on to the plan episode. So, you know, we're happy to listen to what you have and, you know, maybe collaborate. So uh, thanks, guys, for sticking with us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Yes. Adios. Adios.